Hi, this is Doug Beecham. Thank you for joining me as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews. We're going to pick up at Hebrews chapter 5. I'd like for you, if you will, uh, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, and I would encourage you to go ahead and read the whole chapter. You can put this on pause, read the chapter, then come back with me, okay? Well, thanks a lot for taking a moment to read that. Hebrews 5 continues the thought that began in Hebrews 4.14, that is, of Jesus as our great high priest. But Hebrews 5 begins with a contrast of Jesus with the long history of high priests who served in Israel's history. Notice that these high priests, who were chosen by God from among men, are meant to have a sympathetic heart towards those for whom they intercede. Notice that in verse 2 about compassion. Uh, That earthly high priest can have compassion on those who are ignorant and are going astray. The reason they do that is because we ourselves in our ministries, we are also subject to weaknesses. Well, this contrast is made with who Jesus is. Notice then that Human priests are able to bear with us or be compassionate with us in a way in that they moderate their thoughts and passions towards us in our failures. It's an interesting use of the words because this language of compassion that you find here in 5.2 is picked up again. and It actually is an echo uh, and actually stands in contrast or comparison with the compassion of Jesus as found at the end of chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, The preposition that's used there with that word sympathize and is used in essence to refer to Jesus, that Jesus sees the sum total of the reality of our weaknesses, and he's, he has a total sense of sympathy. He sees the whole picture. He knows our past. He knows our futures. He knows our present. He knows all the factors that are operating in our lives. Jesus has that. That's why we go to his throne of grace. Others who minister to us, men and women who have the priestly kind of ministry function, we... We have compassion, but our compassion is not on the same level as that of Jesus. Jesus is completely full. The preposition that's used here in 5.2 is slightly different. And it means that you and I, as we are looking at others who are struggling and we are interceding for them, we have to temper that because we don't see the whole picture there's, there's no way we can see the whole picture. We have to moderate our thoughts and our passions towards them and ourselves in, in how we live with one another. Well, the pastor here, and remember, uh, I'm using the language of uh, Gareth uh, Cockerell in his great commentary on Hebrews, where he refers to the writer of Hebrews as the pastor. The pastor reminds us that we do not take on our priestly ministry or any ministry by our own initiative. The initiative is always with God who calls. That's such an important thing to remember. It is God who calls us. This is great line at the end of Colossians chapter 4, where Paul says to, uh, to Archippus, say to Archippus, take heed that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. 
uh, every year in the ministry that I've had in, in serving the general church. Um, I had the, the joy of licensing and ordaining ministers at annual conferences. And I often use the Colossians 4, 16, 17 texts in terms of encouraging people that are responding to the call to the ministry. The initiative is with God. Our responsibility is to discern that, to hear it. There are a lot of ways that that occurs. It's a lot of ways that we have an ear to hear. Uh, Some of it has to do with a stirring in our own spirit that uh, we, we, we see a pastor or we see someone preaching or an evangelist and something stirs inside of us a yearning to, to do that. That's, that's part of hearing God's call. Uh, others may come to us and say, you have a gift upon you. Uh, there's a pastoral gift upon you or, or there's a prophetic kind of ministry or you're a great teacher and there's some sense of being able to respond to that. We respond to the fact that God is calling us. So it means that we've got to have an ear to hear, not only physical ears, but the ear of the heart. And, and we've got to be able to respond in faith to God's call. You know, that's pretty important for, for the kingdom of God. It's especially true for the Pentecostal Holiness Church right now. Our vision really for the next uh, 13 to 14 years is called Arise 2033 where God has put it upon the heart of this denomination to reach 75% of the counties in the United States. There are over 3,000 counties in the United States. Right now, we, we have churches in approximately 17, 18% of those counties. We need, and we are called about 2033, to reach 75% of the counties of the United States. We're in 100 countries right now, a little over 100 countries. We're called to be in 150 nations by then somebody's got to hear God's call. If you're a pastor listening to me in this podcast, I'm asking you to pray, seek God's face, and and in every message you preach, not only give people an opportunity to come forward for salvation, but give people an opportunity to come forward and say, Lord, I hear you calling me into ministry. There's a call to be a missionary. There's a call to be a pastor. And and in Prepare people and release people. Send them to another part of your city to plant another church. Don't send them by themselves. Send them with a group of people that you've prepared. Send them to a county nearby or a city nearby that doesn't have a Pentecostal Holiness Church. All of this is about the need and the call for more laborers. This call to ministry moves to a focus upon Jesus in chapter 5, in, in uh, Hebrews 5, verses 5 and 6. We know that Jesus' call to ministry was a reality from eternity as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But actually, it was, it was uh, actualized in Jesus' own life uh, very early. Do you remember the story in, in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus, at 12 years of age, he's been on the journey a journey that he's often been on with his parents to Jerusalem. His parents have left. 
They're going with a group of pilgrims back up into Galilee to Nazareth. They think Jesus is with other family members and friends. They discover they don't have Jesus. We have lost Jesus. They go back into Jerusalem. They find Jesus in the temple, and he's already there teaching the priests and the scribes and others who have gathered in the temple. And Jesus, at 12 years of age, says, I must be about my father's business. We know that when he was 30 years old, it became formalized. And, and this formalization was rooted in his identity as the Son of God. Think about this. Jesus, in his call, he has at his baptism his heavenly Father speaking to him, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, I recently was at a conference, and I heard a speaker make this comment, sort of a different kind of translation of the phrase in whom I'm well pleased. He, he put it like this. This is my beloved son, the father said to Jesus, who brings me pleasure. He brings me pleasure because his heart and his identity is one with what his purpose is. Well, and then you find in the temptations, Satan comes and tempts Jesus with his identity. If you are the Son of God, this issue of your identity is absolutely critical in living a life that is a life that fulfills God's purposes in one's own life. You find uh, in Hebrews 5.5, 5, there's a citation out of Psalm chapter, chapter 2, uh, which is a messianic psalm, and the first part is out of verse 7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And it affirms the Messiah's identity. And then in verse 8 of Psalm 2, it affirms his identity. The father says to the messianic son, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. A father leaves an inheritance to his children, his sons and his daughters. The heavenly Father has an inheritance for his only begotten Son. Jesus, as the Son, has as his inheritance the ethne, the people groups of the world. It's translated nations in many of our Bibles. But we need to think beyond just um, political boundaries of nations. It's the peoples of the earth are the inheritance that Jesus has. And then uh, in Hebrews 5, 6, the citation continues, this time with a quote out of Psalm 110, verse 4, that you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sort of wrap up this section because to begin to talk about Melchizedek, I, I want to give a special amount of, of focus on the next podcast of that and not break that portion in two. Keep in mind that Jesus as the high priest, Jesus is in this role because he is the son of God and he has an inheritance. You and I, as men and women redeemed by his blood, we are part of that inheritance and around this globe, in your neighborhood, in your city, Everywhere you turn, there are people who are part of that inheritance. They just don't know it yet. And our job 
is to announce and to declare to them who Jesus is as the Savior of the world. Thanks for joining me, and uh, be sure to plug in, uh, tune in next time.